<laughs> and there we are. Hi, Alice McVeigh. Hello. We. J I'm just going to start off with a topic here. You said, I love this, you said, the permission to fail and daring to be who we really are. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, that's such a biggie. I know you and I are in parallel about this, but it's well, such- We're, we're kind of in parallel universes, aren't we? We're in the same universe in a way because we both married a European and immigrated yeah. to Europe and we've got a lot in common that way also. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, I know time is short. You don't want uh, this to, to go on and, and basically to get to the nub of it. So I thought about this and I thought, what would I really like to communicate most? And I think my whole life has, has well, it's been a bit of a mess in many ways, but, but when I think <laughs> I have come to this stage, at this stage of my life, uh, just briefly a bit of background, I um. I grew up in Southeast Asia, uh, now called now just called Asia, of course, um, in various American embassies. I was very, very privileged. Um, but I was also very disappointed and upset and sad because I wanted to play the cello. And there wasn't a cello in Singapore, Myanmar, Bangkok. So my parents, partly for this reason and partly because my mother was deeply bored being an ornamental wife, which she was at that stage. Uh, we came back to America and we lived just outside Washington and I played the cello and I played the cello all day, every day um, until I uh, wound up becoming a professional cellist. And I wound up in London because I was lucky enough to be accepted as a pupil by Jacqueline Dupre, who was the cellist of her generation and the only famous female cellist of that time. So I came here to study with Dupre for a year married my husband who's English and I've stayed ever since. That's over 30 years now. I've been a Londoner. So my accent's in the middle of the ocean and so are a lot of other things. But basically, um, what when I'm talking about being who you really are, my dream was to be a cellist from a very early age because my father was a tenor as well as an ambassador. And and basically, I, um, I just uh, heard so much cello on his record player, which we took all over Asia with us. And I just fell in love with the sound, but it wasn't really right for me. Um, and the reason I knew eventually it wasn't really right for me was because it never really satisfied me. I wound up at my peak <laughs> in my thirties, playing with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, playing with the Royal Philharmonic, playing, touring the world. I went to 44 countries with different orchestras. And you know, everybody thinks you're living the dream, but I wasn't happy. And the reason I wasn't happy was because a lot of people could have done, and indeed were doing, exactly what I was doing. I was being told what to do by a guy with a stick, and it was almost always a guy um, with a stick. I was being conducted. I was being told how to play, how loud to play, with what feeling to play. And I just felt I wasn't expressing what I wanted to do. And so I decided I was going to um, take the novel that I've always written on. I've written my entire life since I was about four, wrote bad poetry. Anyway, my first novel I finished at 13, and that was even worse than the poetry, but I wrote rather a good novel in my <laughs> 20s. And it was all about what it was like being in the London Orchestra. And the Sunday Times wrote, all human life is here. The orchestra becomes a universe in microcosm. It was a pretty good book. And I was incredibly lucky with it because I got it picked up by Orion, a big five publisher. And they gave me a, a contract for, for three books. Anyway, I then screwed up because I got so depressed partly because I was tired of being told what to do and partly because I couldn't have a baby, long story. So basically I didn't deliver the third novel and I got fired. Getting fired by a big five publisher is pretty 
demoralizing. So I had to reinvent myself again. I decided I was going to do ghostwriting, and I did. I did ghostwriting while my kid, I finally got the kid, um, was until she got old enough to go to secondary school. And then I thought, I need to write for myself again. And so that's how I came back to writing fiction. So I th it's a constant process of reinvention is what I'm talking about. But coming back to what we were actually said, we were, there are two things I really, really wanted to say. One was what I used to tell my cello pupils. Um, I have never taught that much, but I've always had about 10 people. Um, at the moment, I only have four, but that's because I'm old. So basically, um, I, 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 I always tell them this, what a famous teacher said to me. He said, when you're going for a big shift on the cello, and on the cello, believe me, you've got to go about two feet down. So you're sitting here and you're just going there. You're gonna, you're gonna have to really take your nerve in your hands and go for it. He said, give yourself permission to fail. If you think I've got to nail this note, you're going to miss. Instead, relax the hand, think it doesn't really matter. I'm just gonna go for it and permission to fail. And this is, it works like magic with pupils because they suddenly think, right, I'm free. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. I can give it a go. Whereas if you just think I've got to nail this note, I've got to do it, or the entire thing is just bootless and fruitless and hopeless, then you're likely, I mean, you might make it, depends how much you practice, uh, but you probably won't do it with the same conviction. And this is what I've always given myself. You know, when I, when I, when I came to London, I gave myself permission to fail. When I, when I sent my novel out, I gave myself permission to fail. When I did fail, I gave myself permission to fail. I thought, right, this is not the end. I'm a really good writer. There's some way I can monetize this skill. And I could. And in fact, I'm still getting people saying, will you please uh, ghostwrite for me? And I'm going, no, I'm, I'm too old for that. I'm doing my own. So it's permission to fail, I think, is the first thing. The second is, is even more existential in a sense, which is that I, I strongly believe that there is a, a person that every person is meant to be. And it may not be to do with their career even. It may be to do with their character. It may be to do with their soul. But I do strongly believe that there is a person that you're meant to be, and it's taken me decades to be that person. And so what I would just say, in addition to the permission to fail, is to be open to, we talked about energy healing when you and I had our, our first meeting, which was really interesting to me, that you're so open to this. A lot of people have said to me, you know, it's it's just a load of baloney, especially Americans, they think it's a load of baloney. Uh, British people are maybe a little bit more open to it. But I, oh, interesting. I think that that was one of the things which turned my career around was energy healing. I found the most amazing energy healer. And we talked about that before. Wow. That's kind of where I am with it. Do you have any questions? <laughs> wow. <clears throat> that was fantastic. You said so many things in there. You said, for, but, but along the way, you said, I think you said something like, I wasn't satisfied. And because you've had two, at least two events that I can count, that you had you becoming a cellist. At, a, at the height of your game, and mm -hmm. then getting the book deal with the big five publisher. Yeah. And so either of those two, not to mention two of them in your lifetime, either of those two, I think many people would say, wow, you did it. You've succeeded, you've reached the top, you can. But then the question is, of course, 
okay, what do you do then? Do you just cruise and keep doing that same thing? Because I've had that where I wanted, since I was 20, I wanted to be, I want to be a writer. And then finally, six years ago, we moved to Europe, quit the job, sold the house, left everything in the United States, moved to Europe, and I became a writer. And now for the past six years, I'm a writer. Yay! Yes. And I do believe in sort of the seven-year itch. And I'm almost at that seven-year, and I feel it. I feel something coming next year that's different from writing. And yet, I'm curious about the word satisfied. It actually makes me think of my mother-in-law, because in Dutch, you're not supposed to say, are you are you hungry? You're supposed to, or are, are, are you full after dinner? Are you full in, in Dutch anyway? And you say, no, I'm satisfied. It's an interesting use of words. That is interesting. And it reminds so, me a little bit of my grandmother who used to say to me, she was, um, uh, she her manners were perfect. She um, was married to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Maxwell D. Taylor was my grandfather. And she always said to me, she said, you must never clean your plate. You must always leave a little bit of food. So that's more polite to say that you, uh, subliminally uh, to your host or hostess that you've had enough. And I always thought, what a waste. <laughs> Because I love eating and I love cooking, and it's very much a sort of part of me is is that 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 um, that part of it. But no, she was she was always you know she she taught me a lot. She was an amazing woman. Um, both my grandmothers were amazing women. But I think that was interesting. She used to say, "No, you just always leave a little bit." Hungry, hungry. Okay, I'm going to take that yeah. and and bring it back then to the, the the cellist and the author. Yeah. And could it be that? And I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, but could it be that you finished your plate and there was nothing left? I think that's absolutely right. I'd gone as far as I could go on the cello and I hadn't achieved my real ambition. You, you very politely said, you charmingly said, you know, I, I completely succeeded, but I hadn't. I never wanted to be a solo player, but I wanted to be a principal. I wanted to be number one cello, not number two or three or four, which I was quite often. I wanted to be the the number one, the first cello, the principal. And I never, I never actually was. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I never actually succeeded in nailing that job as principal. So I wasn't satisfied, was I? Anyway, no, what I was saying was, um, I think it's closer to what you said about the itch. I think that it's more, you sort of think, yeah, this is great. We're going around the world. I'm in Japan with the World Philharmonic. Yes. And then you sort of think, am I number one? No, I'm not. Hmm. Not good enough. And so then you kind of think, let's reinvent, or at least I do. And so then you try your novel. If your novel doesn't completely work out for you, the first two did, the third one was rejected. Then you think, right, reinvent. You know? I just think that that too many people kind of think, well, I'm not very happy with this. It's not exactly what I wanted, but that's life. And I'm not like that. And I don't think we ought to be like that. I think there is a person that everybody ought to be inside of them. And it's a different person for every person. But you you can't kind of just sit back and say, this is good enough if it isn't. That's how I am Okay, on that one, I a good friend of mine, I have a I have a book idea together with her. Yeah. And it's called Be the Cat. And I'm not, I'm completely a dog person, not a cat person, but I like it's cats. Good. Yeah. And the cat, the, the joke, the story kind of comes from one of my books where I talk about, are you exactly what we're talking about here? Are you living the life that you are meant to live? 
Exactly. And, and yet what I think happens is that we build that one single life we as humans have, according to your beliefs anyway, <laughs> depends on what you might think. But whereas cats, as the folklore goes anyway, have nine. Yeah. And so this friend of mine, Kristen, she she has reinvented herself many times. Yeah. And I admire that about her. And I, I strive to follow in her footsteps to do those many things, which is why now I've been a writer for six years, going on seven. And next year, I am completely open to being the next version of myself, the next life of the cat. Yeah. And I don't know if there's nine or what, but is a number maybe the number is as many or as few as you'd like because i i hear you it's interesting i hear the i don't know if it's you can tell me is it frustration is it regret because i hear what you say and of course I, and, and remember we talked about this a little bit but i am musically negatively talented i <laughs> they won't even let me in the, they won't let me listen to the orchestra so i am just in awe yeah that you play an instrument period is for yeah. me already a, a fantastical wonderful thing thank you that's lovely and so for me to hear yeah. that that wow you were in just the, the fact that you were in an orchestra at all even if it were joe and billy's corner street orchestra <laughs> <laughs> but no it was it was bob and billy and, and but, cornelius but don't, but don't you think don't you think that people are always more in awe of what they haven't got I mean, I have absolutely no skill with with drawing, and there's nothing yeah. that impresses me more than someone who could yeah. paint or someone who can draw. That just yeah. absolutely blows my tiny mind. The same thing you with see. writing. I just go, writing, it's not that great a skill. Everybody can write to some degree. And if somebody can draw or, yeah. well, again, singing. I always thought, because I'm arrogant, I always thought I had this voice. Somewhere I had this voice. So I had carpal tunnel operations. And I thought, this is where I discovered my voice. Yes, I have a great voice. Do I have a great voice? I did not have a great voice. I had a great teacher. And I learned I did not have any voice worth mentioning. It's a little peep, peep, squeaky voice. And I was so upset because I always thought that I had a voice in there somewhere. So um, I, I just think that's why I revere singing. Because I can play the cello, but the cello's come on. But I haven't got a voice. So we admire much, much more what is alien to us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really sad about the voice. Never mind. <laughs> so another friend of mine, Nicolene, she just sang in front of a group at, in public. And, it's, and I think her husband recorded it or something. And it, she was super scared of the whole thing. She had been taking singing lessons for several weeks. And she did it. And for her, it was a huge, momentous step. And yet, because again, I think this is really relevant to what we're talking about. She said, my goal is not to sing on stage. I don't need to be Beyonce at the big arena. I just, she's already celebrating the fact that she was on stage in public and sang her song. And whether it was great or award-winning or whatever, it is, it's all just secondary to the fact that she she dared to do it and she, and she did it. She I, got I absolutely fear. love your friend, Nicolene, because what she did was she gave herself permission to fail. And I also think yeah. she pushed the boat out there. You say, lightly, she had lessons for several weeks. It normally takes several years right, to right, develop a voice. Right. So my hat is absolutely off. I think this woman is amazing. 
And I think she, there's something rather Dutch about that as well, because the Dutch people I know, yeah. fantastic musicians and women who are Dutch, especially in the Baroque world, um, they tend to have this kind of incredibly um, stable attitude that we're just going to go and give it a go. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Whereas I think there's something deeply embedded, at least yeah. in my own consciousness, that this way I keep having to remind myself that I haven't. There's a part of me that does, hang on, your grandfather was chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Your father did incredibly well. You can't fail. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's all this parental, Absolutely. familial pressure. And I think yeah. I've thought that my whole life. And I don't, I'm not blaming my parents. I think they're amazing. My father uh, recently died, but but they're, they're amazing. But I still feel that that is a, a cultural construct in a way. Yeah. And I think that the Dutch are fantastically grounded that way. The ones I know anyway. And so I yeah. think that's one of the reasons why the society is so, you know, anyway. But that's interesting because you said you you were born in, in the United States, I think? No, I was born in Seoul, South Korea. And oh, wow. then we okay. moved all around Asia until I was 13. So I haven't lived okay. in America very long. I lived in America from 13 until I was 21. That's all. Um, okay. And then I moved to Britain and I've been here ever since. Okay. Because I think Britain and the United States have similar cultures in that sense i agree the... i think that i think there is less risk taking and there's a less there's a less balanced view towards risk taking you know what i mean yeah i think that 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 where the central europeans excel is in having is in being more grounded and getting back to energy healing i think they have many more um <laughs> I want to use an American word, which won't really work here, rambunctious attitude uh, towards <laughs> towards energy. Like, so many of my American friends have just said, right, you got this idea from a novel. While you were under the influence of an energy healer, you were meditating. Oh, my God, that is so out there. That is so stupid. And 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 the people I know in Germany are going, that is so fascinating. You know what I mean? And I find that a cultural difference quite interesting. Okay, on that note, because I'm I'm thinking people who are listening and they think, okay, Bradley and Alice, all of your, it, 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 let's think of somebody who has not played for the BBC Orchestra or has written novels or has successfully published a whole bunch of books like I have and both of us have. Yeah. And so they're saying, okay, great, you two, lovely, but what can I do to take the step like a Nicoline or a Kristen and the cat, what is a practical step that I can do? Because I, and again, like you said, I'm open to the energy healing idea. Yes. And I, I'm basically open to anything that might shake off the the rust and, and wake something up. And if that's energy healing, I that's okay. Well, I agree with you. Um I think I think I am also, and I don't think it works for everybody. Um, my husband, yeah. like most people, he's a very brilliant professor, um, has had blockages in his life. And when I said to him, look, I happen to know this energy healer, so do you, and she's amazing. He just doesn't want to know. It depends on your 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 mindset, your attitude, and where you are in the process. Um, so I don't think it works for everybody, but I, yeah. I know this, I do know this at a deep instinctual level something out there will work for anybody. And I yeah. do still believe passionately, and I've seen it happen so many times, because I'm not young anymore, I've seen it happen so many times that people have gradually transformed into the person that they were meant to be. 
And I, I believe a lot of people feel called to write because they believe they have something to say. And very often they are meant to be writing. But I also think it can be a false call. I think it can be, they have something to say for sure, but not necessarily in that direction, in some other direction. And this is where I think you have to go very deep and be very bold in terms of permission to play. You're sort of, at this moment, I sense in a sort of chrysalis yourself, you know, yeah. sort yeah. of thinking, am I breaking free into something new? I'm just getting that instinctively. Yeah. We don't yeah. yeah. But I think, I think, I feel that sometimes when I just meet people and I think, no, that's where you are. You are in that chrysalis state. And I was there for so long that I recognize it. But I would say, if you're asking me for advice from other people, I offer this practical advice, which I do, I have, I have done before, um, which is, if you're thinking about being a writer, don't be like me and write in three different genres, because that makes it harder. <laughs> in other words, choose a genre that really speaks to your soul and stick to it. That is my practical advice. My less practical advice is that I think that you should you should listen to that little still voice that speaks to you at 3 a.m. That, that is calling you to be what you're meant to. It may not be the kind of writer you're thinking of. I'm thinking of one writer mm. in particular I, I worked with for a long time. She was she felt absolutely called, she thought, to write fiction. As a matter of fact, she's one of the most successful nonfiction writers that I personally know and has been in the USA Today and lots of other important bestseller lists. So the voice that I'm speaking about is the one that you can trust. And it's the still small mm. voice in the middle of it. And that's the one. Don't get don't let it get drowned out by everything else in there. I love that because the things that you mentioned as advice are both internal. There's, th there's, there's practicing and listening to your own voice and then going forward with that, which I love and fully agree with. I would add that once in a while, be open to another person's voice. So for example, this Kristen, or for me, it was 10 years ago, the guy pushing me to write for 30 days in a row and allow and accepting that invitation yeah. for change. Even maybe it sounds crazy. Like that guy 30, 10 years ago, I didn't know 30 days would of writing would change my life. No way. If I, if I, if I had known it was such good, it was going to be such a momentous occasion. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have done it because I would have been too chicken. I'm but sure I that's just, not true. But I also yeah. feel that if, yeah, if but, something like that, it hits you when it hits you like that, you are meant to hear it. You were meant yeah. to hear that and you were meant to internalize it and you were meant to really listen to it. Probably yeah. he wasn't the only person who's ever told you something like that. And at that at these other points, you weren't quite ready. You weren't quite right for it. Yeah. I do think that. Anyway. Which visual guy that I am, I see immediately these two, we were talking about frequency. We were, I see these two lines and they intersect. Yes. Yeah. And so it's energy and time. Yeah. And, and maybe it's even 3D. And then there's me and then there's energy and time. And then there's this other guy who comes in at that moment. Yes. And pushes me into action. Yeah. Exactly. Or I for you, it was so the too. energy healer. Yes, it was. It was partly the energy healer. But again, yeah. I had to be open at that point. I had yeah. to free myself yeah. from all these barriers of self-doubt and, and, and just allow myself to, to heal it. 
and allow myself yeah. not to not to feel stupid when I came out from under this meditation and said, I just had the most bizarre experience and this book is coming to me. Yeah, and you could have you could have brushed it off. I could have, yes. I could have just said, Well, that was weird. Let's just move on. But I didn't yeah. because at that point I was I was open to it. And I gave myself credit for being open to it. But I also think that, that you know I would urge people to be open to it and at least to give it a chance to speak to you. If something is out yeah. there, it will keep, 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 keep trying to get through. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to uh, wrap this up with a tiny yeah. little story from two days ago, which I think you will really appreciate because it's right up our alleys. I was in Dusseldorf for the Christmas markets. And on Sunday morning, I had to move our car to a different place so I could charge it. And I had this like eight and a half by 11 or A4 piece of paper in a plastic sheet that was from the hotel that was like a parking permit. Yeah. And so I, um, and I needed to give it back, of course, to the hotel. So I went and moved the car and then I put the paper, big, big paper. I only folded it in half so it stayed big so I wouldn't forget it. I put it in my big giant jacket pocket. And then I decided, oh, you know, I should go discover the city and find a place where we can have breakfast when my family finally wakes up. <laughs> so uh, four hours later, I'm at the hotel and they say, hey, do you have the parking permit? And I, I couldn't remember where it was. And so I... I, went, I said, oh, it must be in the car. I went to the car, but I was pretty sure I brought it out of the car because I remember putting it in my jacket. And I thought, I walked around this town for an hour. Yeah. This, and the markets. <laughs> the Christmas and the, markets. And the people and, and, yeah. and wind and leaves. And yeah. I thought, I never, I'm, I'm, I'm no. the, the, uh, my first thought was money. They're going to charge me for this thing because I lost it. And so I just kind of, I let go and I started walking. And two blocks, block and a half, I look down to the left for some reason, and in a bundle of leaves, yeah. upside down, was the part of what you were looking Isn't that amazing? Of, of the hour I walked around in a busy, bustling city. So this is, this is for me, this was a moment. And, and, I'm, and I'm again, I'm saying it to you also because of this exact thing. That energy healer for you, you could have brushed her off and said, oh, well, that's weird. So I'm not listening. And me, I could say on a very practical level, Bradley, yes, of course you found it. You retraced your steps and that's logical that you found it. I could say that. Or I could say, what if yeah. there was the slightest, even if it's 0.0001% of whatever you want to call it, magic, pixie serendipity. dust, yeah. serendipity, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And what if that little bit exists? It, it does, there's no question it does. Yeah, you yeah, know. you and I say, yeah, what if, if I asked my dad, who also passed away, I don't yeah. know. Well, in his last months, he was getting a lot more open, but yeah. open, it's really it. It's It really starts with open. It is, it starts with being open to everything and just not to just dismiss stuff and then just yeah. see what happens. What have you got to lose by being open? You have nothing to lose by being open. Yeah. And you yeah, might have it. so much to gain. And so that, along with permission to fail, along with just thinking, what if? That's just a big thing for me. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure talking. It has. It has. I love this. <laughs> it starts with open. I'm, I'm, I'm thanking Edwina, another friend here, who yeah. uh, has a book with that title. Yeah. And it's 
it starts with open. So thanks to, to, to come back, come back full circle. The permission to fail starts with open. This has just been a pleasure. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we're leaving <laughs> something on the plate because I feel we have so much more to talk about. We have more well, plates. Let's talk, let's talk again. If anyone is interested yeah. in my books, um, Alice McVeigh spelled M-C-V-E-I-G-H. And um, I'm, they're mostly on Amazon. Some of them are elsewhere as well. And uh, I just love talking to you. So let's keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Great. It's been a pleasure, Alice. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Thanks. You too. Bye.